Hello, and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm so thankful you are joining me for this episode. Today, um, we're starting uh, what I'm going to call an intermittent series, which means it's not going to be back-to-back episodes, but over the course of this fall, this winter, into next year, um, this idea was actually sort of spawned by the episode I did with... Um, Hannah Mulliken Lutz um, a few months ago called Exploring Quaker Spirituality. She's um, one of she's a, a Quaker minister and um, got to just explore what is what do the Quakers believe about this and this and this and how are you governed and what do you believe about the Bible and what do you believe about the Trinity and what do you believe about sin you know all these things and um, in doing that. I realized, you know, so many of us, we've grown up in one specific environment or, or, you know, one or two different denominations that we're really familiar with. Um, And I I know my experience, at least, when I was sort of in the deconstructing slash reconstructing process, um, (laughs) at the beginning of it, at least, um, I didn't, I knew I couldn't be Southern Baptist anymore, but I didn't know what I wanted what does that mean? I, I, I'm a church girl for better or worse. I, I, it looks very different for me than it used to. Um, and I know, and there's times that I, you know, very long seasons sometimes where, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't, uh, make myself go for whatever reason, but, um, but the, over the sort of long arc of my faith, um, it's important to me to be involved in a body, a faith community. And so, um, you know, as long as that's possible and safe and makes sense. So, um, I, I was, I wish I had had a resource where I could say, you know, okay, what do the Lutherans believe about this? What do, and I, you know, I know every group is not a monolith. So this is sort of, obviously all of these are going to be this is a broad spectrum, a, you know, a 50,000 foot view, but we're going to just take some time exploring different denominations and Christian t- uh, traditions. Um, and so if there, you know, if you find yourself in that space where you're maybe potentially looking for a new um, denomination, a new church affiliation, a new uh, faith environment, um, I'm hoping these episodes can be a resource to you where, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, <laughs> read the um, entire doctrinal statements and 39 articles and all that stuff of um, a bunch of different denominations. But maybe you can, while you're driving, you know, hear a representative, a clergy member or uh, other sort of uh, someone within the denomination that has their finger on the pulse of uh, of what's going on within it, hear, hear them describe um, what the what they believe, some of the good things and some of the bad things. This is not a commercial. These episodes are not commercials for, uh, nor are they me saying this is what I think you should be. Um, it's just this is, you know, this is an option. And so um, we're starting off that series today with um, exploring Episcopal um, faith and spirituality from the Episcopal Church. So I am joined in this episode by Mother Catherine Thompson. She actually was my rector at uh, at my church in my local parish here, and um, and she's actually joining me for the second time, um, not on this podcast, but she whenever it was just the Let It Matter blog series, um, she joined me for the Women of Valor series there, where we discussed Priscilla. Um, and 
and she, you know, we sort of diverted into talking about Paul and how Paul saw women in ministry and things. And it was a really great conversation. Um, and I can link to it in the show notes if you guys are interested in that. There's a YouTube video, so you can check out the YouTube channel as well. Um, but I, I just, I couldn't think of anybody better to to gently and warmly and, um, and knowledgeably uh, be part of this conversation. So with that, let me introduce her to you officially. Um, the Reverend Catherine Thompson serves as the priest in charge of All Saints Episcopal Church in Frederick, Maryland, a community of believers dedicated to growing in their love of God and love of their neighbors. She finds joy in learning and discovering new things, particularly in the area of congregational development. She also enjoys reading, traveling, and spending time in nature. She holds degrees from Vassar College and Virginia Theological Seminary. She is married to Mark, and they have two adult children and a 19-year-old poodle named Mia, who offers daily lessons on the nature of unconditional love. With that, let's get into the episode. Okay, guys, I'm so excited about this conversation. For those of you who um, have been following Let It Matter for a while, you will remember Mother Catherine from the uh, Women of Valor series I did on the Let It Matter blog. She joined me for a Zoom conversation and we posted that video. Um, We talked all about Priscilla and um, a little bit about Paul. She kind of brought me back around on Paul and... (laughs) I think I said in that conversation, can you help me? Because he's on my last nerve. <laughs> Listen, and Paul can get on a lot of people's last nerves. He did. Yeah. But but you, you know, it was just such a rich conversation in our, our relationship. Um, for those who don't know, you were the rector at my church um, for, you know, I got there in 2019. And, um, and you have moved to uh, a new calling a new posting in Maryland now, but, um, I'm so thrilled to get to, um, have this conversation with you and to bring you to my listeners. So welcome. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Of course, of course. Okay. So this is sort of a series we're going to be doing throughout the fall, just exploring the spirituality doctrines, beliefs of various traditions and denominations within the church. Um, a lot of my listeners and a lot of my little community in my corner of the internet um, have sort of started the deconstruction process or in, in the end of it or the middle of it. Um, and maybe they only grew up one specific way, grew up in evangelicalism or conservative Christianity or uh, just Methodist or something. Um, and so if when they start to sort of walk away or break those things down and can't stay where they've been, um, at least for me, my story was like, I've only been two things. I don't have any idea what else I could be or where else I could go. And um, so I wanted to provide this series for people to just know, like, these, you know, maybe this is an option. Um, so we're going to dive in. Can you start by, if you can maybe give like a 50,000 foot view, you don't have to go dates and, <laughs> and stuff, but uh, of, of how the Church of England came to be and then the Episcopal Church. And then also what sets us apart from the ACNA, which is another uh, Anglican tradition here in the United States. Right. So it truly is going to be a 15,000 foot view because I have to say I teach a two and a half hour class on this very question. So (laughs) uh, I'm just going to give you the brief broad strokes. So essentially in 1534, King Henry VIII uh, came into conflict with the Pope at the time and decided that he did not particularly care for sharing for power, sharing power. So uh, it's not just about the fact that he wanted to get a divorce in order to have a male heir to continue his life. It also had a lot to do with what was going on politically at the time. And uh, frankly, Henry wanted more control. So he broke off and formed the Church of England, but remained a Roman Catholic for the rest of his life and Mm -hmm. defended um, the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And Mm so... Um, eventually, uh, as the British colonies uh, came to be, mm-hmm. the Church of England went with them. It was just hand in hand. And so uh, the Church of England hit the shores of Jamestown in 1607. Um, and eventually, after uh, the Revolutionary War, um, they ended up forming the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States of America, which has been thankfully shortened to the Episcopal Church because nobody wants to 
say that big old long title. Yeah. But Can you really, it. really quick? I love yeah. the, I love the little piece about like, we had to get different, we, we needed bishops and, but you know, because of the revolution, the church of England, can you talk about that part? <laughs> Absolutely. So in order to have your own bishop, you had to have three other bishops come and consecrate your bishop. Unfortunately, because of the war, uh, they weren't really amenable to uh, cooperating with that. So um, the beauty is that the American church reached out to the Scottish Episcopal Church and asked if they would be willing to help consecrate our first bishop. Mm -hmm. And they said yes, with the caveat that we would uh, uh, fashion our prayer book after theirs. Hmm. So the American prayer book, which has only had five revisions in all of its history, which yeah. is a long time, yeah. um, uh, modeled it after the Scottish Episcopal Church. And so our liturgies look the, the most similar to each other. And therefore, you know, the divine right of, of the ruler of England, we, we, don't, uh, we don't have to... <laughs> abide uh, believing that the king or queen is the leader of our faith. (laughs) Exactly. You take away the pledge to the queen and all is good with the world, right? So, uh, and just to fast forward, you know, since then there have been um, fractures in the Episcopal Church similar to many other denominations over various theological topics, um, the latest of which was the consecration of an openly uh, gay partnered bishop. Um, And that begun... uh, a fracture that resulted in the Anglican Church in North America, Mm -hmm. um, which is not the same as the Episcopal Church. The liturgies look very similar, but we do need to be clear that the theology behind the two organizations are very different. And ACNA um, now adheres to leadership in uh, South America and Africa, whereas uh, the Episcopal Church uh, will always and forever be rooted here in the United States. Yes. And, and, um, from, I mean, th- that was, I think that's a, a helpful, um, clarification because I, it was explained to me before I went to visit either type of the Anglican or the Episcopal church, that essentially the ACNA was a non-affirming Episcopal church, that that was the only difference. Um, but when I went to it, um, what it actually felt like was evangelical high church. Yeah. Like there was liturgy, uh, but it was, you know, uh, CCM, like worship music. It was, um, and then just some of the like beliefs and stuff behind it. It wasn't just the issue of LGBTQ uh, affirmation. There's just a host of sort of other things that much more clearly lined up with where I had come from in the SBC, frankly, than, exactly. um, than what I found in the Episcopal church after that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would and I would argue that that's the same that they did they did try to start leaning more into a Southern Baptist identity from that point. Mm. Um, theologically, uh, liturgically. Um, and while they do still retain a lot of the traditions, if you listen to the theology behind what they say, it will it will sound very familiar to a Southern Baptist for mm. sure. Yeah, it did. Okay, so um, I would love to talk through just some tenets of our faith of the Episcopal Church. I'm going to ask this like I am not also also Episcopalian. So with these questions, uh, I know the answer to a lot of them, um, but... I uh, I want to turn it over to someone who's been doing this. I've been only Episcopalian since uh, four years now. So, <laughs> um, so I want to ask you what basically to unpack Episcopalian or Anglican um, doctrine, spirituality, faith, etc. on these uh, next few topics. So the first one mm-hmm. is God. What we believe about God, meaning the creeds. What is the atonement theory that the Episcopal Church uh, largely adheres to, etc. Yeah, and let me preface this by saying that the Episcopal Church has a very big umbrella when it comes to theological understanding. And so while I may tell you one thing, you may hear someone tell you another thing. Um, We do have general guidelines, and I'll cover that in just a second, but I do want to say that just as a caveat to say that I certainly don't speak for the entire Episcopal Church. I just speak for my particular training in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of God, obviously, as Episcopalians, we hold three creeds as authoritative statements of our faith, the Apostolic Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those creeds, we understand that God is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or as some like to say, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Mm-hmm. So God is truly the creator of all things, which means that the universe was created good and that it is the work of a single loving God mm-hmm. who creates, sustains, and directs it. 
That's so good. Um, yeah. On the, when I talk about atonement theory, for those who don't know, you know the um, the tradition I, I came to the Episcopal Church from was really big on penal uh, penal substitutionary atonement, meaning basically right. God had all this wrath for us and had to take it out on His son, like some sort of um, a child abuser, essentially, um, and right. and uh, and because of that, now when God looks at us. Thank God he can't see us. He can only see Jesus. And that's why he loves us, which uh, is just not good news, frankly, in my opinion. And it's um, it has a lot of fingers that go out from it, which are really detrimental. Um, is there one particular atonement theory or belief about what what Jesus accomplishes at the cross? I know that's a huge question, <laughs> but, um, but just sort of a um, how do you see it? I guess maybe I would ask. Well, in a nutshell, let me just say that I, I see the word atonement like at one meant. Mm. That is that God sent Jesus to bring us back into full relationship with God, because that is God's ultimate goal for all of creation. Mm. The restoration of right relationship between us and God, uh, between each other, and, and to all of creation. Mm. And so, Jesus was the model and the means by which we uh, reconcile with God and with each other. That's good. Um, all right. So next sort of category, I would say just uh, mankind, what we believe about uh, humanity. And so how we love our neighbors, um, LGBTQ affirmation, um, how the what role of women in the church, justice issues, etc. Well, you know, if God's greatest desire is the restoration of peace, justice and harmony, then the mission of Jesus was to show us exactly how to do that here on mm. earth. So Jesus became human so that in him, we could be adopted as children of God and become heirs of the kingdom of God. So we do believe that all of humanity is created in the image of God and as such deserves our love and respect, even as we work for justice and peace. Yeah. Now, let me state that I, I personally feel like that can be a very fine line to walk because you do have to use your gift, your God-given gift of judgment mm -hmm. in order to discern uh, which way to go. But, but discerning which way to go can also be done in relationship with people, even those with whom we disagree. Mm. And so our, our greatest desire is that everyone is brought to the table. Um, if uh, I love what Bishop Curry says, that if it isn't about love, then it isn't about God. That is my favorite thing anyone's ever said, I think. Just yeah. Yeah. such a beautiful way to boil it down. And, and our love for neighbor manifests itself in working for full inclusion in society for all people, mm -hmm. for the right of all people to live in safety and security, uh, and to share the resources you, we've been given. So that's mm -hmm. why you'll see Episcopalians typically marching, mm -hmm. speaking out on behalf of those who do not have a voice, or whose voice has been muted by systemic sin. Yeah. So these are the ways in which we're called, to, again, to restore all of yeah. humanity to the vision that God has for us. That's really good. And I, and I want to, there's a little caveat I want to make here uh, from what I understood when I went into the Episcopal church. Um, it is uh, like you said, it hired its first or it ordained its first openly gay partnered Bishop. And so it was LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. affirming. Um, yeah. There are women bishops. It was clearly egalitarian. Um, and uh, you know, I had seen there's like on the, if you go to, whatever the Episcopal church.org or something, um, mm -hmm. this sort of statement. And there were, there were, you know, statements on gun violence, statements on um, the right of, uh, of women to receive reproductive care and abortion care. There was, uh, you know, immigration reform, racism, police brutality, all of these things that were really important to me and are really important to me. Um, and then <laughs> I, we, I live, you used to live in uh, the Dallas area, which is one of the, I'd say, most conservative dioceses in the country. Um, yes. And so we'll get to this in a little bit, church polity, but, um, but the broader Episcopal beliefs, like you said, aren't always <laughs> going to be the beliefs of everybody. And so if you have a bishop who has a different uh, opinion or belief or conviction about one of those things, um, then all the churches in that diocese are under the headship and leadership of that bishop, right? And so, Correct. Um, kid, like, is there a, 
do you have any like quick if somebody's in a different region they're like i don't know if the if my diocese is really conservative is there a way to look up online before they go visit or before they start investing time what the beliefs are about their specific location the fastest thing to do is just to ask uh, the clergy of that church. Okay. Really. Yeah. Um, because uh, frequently when um, a diocese or a congregation is not in line with what the rest of the Episcopal Church is doing, mm-hmm. they're not going to advertise it. And you'd mm-hmm. have to look for really subtle signs um, to, to see whether or not that would be accurate. So yeah. um, so my, my suggestion is if you find an Episcopal Church and you want to check it out, schedule a time with the clergy. Like, Mm. that's the one thing that I say the Episcopal Church does best is that we may not we may not be great in numbers, but the clergy are always accessible. And if they aren't, then find a different church (laughs) because they should be. Yeah. You know, I agree. Um, And so, yeah, just schedule a time with the clergy. Ask how they feel. Be very direct in your questioning. Um, Get a sense for where the congregation is. Some are more obvious than others. You know, uh, we have a we have a pride flag flying outside of our church. So that's really clear. Some of those things should be a dead giveaway yeah (laughs) right 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 but not all churches are that overt but still may be very supportive and supporting so you just kind of have to have that conversation yeah okay um moving into the realm of uh, sin uh hell heaven versus hell salvation um I, this was actually one that i i'm still like i don't really know how to talk about i used to say in the baptist church when i got saved yeah Right. And it was a time, a moment that I can remember in my adulthood. I had already been yeah. baptized as a kid. Actually, I had been baptized three times before that because <laughs> I had, you just kept wondering why it wasn't sticking. Um, right. But then I, you know, I got to the Baptist. I got to this church that I was at for so long. And I remember a moment when I felt like my eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel and there, my life began to bear fruit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how to talk about that anymore. I know we baptize babies. I know we, we, um, you know, then we do confirmation and stuff. How, how would you, how do you think about that stuff as a, as an Episcopal priest? It's funny because I, I would say that most of our members would not be able to name a particular date or time at which mm-hmm. they felt saved, mm-hmm. but they could tell you about their mountaintop experiences. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, it's less of a uh, flipping of a switch and more of a slow, steady growth. Yeah. Now, the problem with the slow, steady growth that I found is that a lot of people take their faith for granted. And so they don't, it doesn't convert into that passionate statement that you're able to make when you can name the date, right? Yeah. Um, many people are confirmed into the Episcopal Church when they're in sixth grade because their parents told them they had to do it. Right. And so even though it's a mature confession of faith, mm-hmm. the degree to which they've embraced that is really who knows, right? right. So I try to uh, help people understand that the responsibility of our baptism, right, the gift that we have been given is that we need to give it to, away to others. Mm-hmm. That it's not a gift to be preserved for ourselves. Our churches are not... Uh, sanctuaries for us they are sanctuaries for all of god's people Mm. Um, william temple is quoted as saying that the the church is the only institution that was built for people who are not yet its members Mm. and so we have to constantly be thinking about how can how can the the work that god has begun within us Mm. begin to translate to action on behalf of other people now, in terms of in terms of sin and salvation, I would say that sin is any behavior that draws us from the love of God. Mm-hmm. It usually is self-centered and self-preserving. So our challenge is to constantly move away from our sinful desires and turn back towards God. Um, uh, because in that, we have that full and open relationship with God. Yeah. Um, but that Jesus offers everyone salvation. Mm-hmm. And it is ours as a gift, unearned and undeserved. So what I say is that when we're marked as Christ's own in baptism, in the Episcopal Church, we use oil, oil mm-hmm. of chrism. And when you're baptized with the water, then we mark a sign of the cross on your forehead with oil. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at that is that that mark can never be erased no matter how far you may choose to wander away. Yeah. Because the minute you turn around back towards God, which is what repentance means, it Mm -hmm. means turn around 180 degrees, 
God will see that mark and welcome you back immediately. Yeah. And so um, when I think about heaven and hell, many times those are man-made creations, right? Mm -hmm. We make those ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and talking to people who are recovering from addictions, mm -hmm. they will describe their experience as hell on earth. Yes, ma'am. And I think that's I think that's an accurate description, right? Yeah. That isolation, the fear, the constant anxiety, um, all that comes with that. When I look but, back on that time of my life, it's literally like my memories are clouded, they are darker memories. They don't yeah. have the color yeah. that like other memories from high school or memories from last year have. It's literally under a darkness. It's, uh, it, yes. yeah, that's a really good description. Yeah. But, but conversely, heaven is also formed on earth. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that pie in the sky way in the future for the next life. Yep. The promise of revelation is that the new Jerusalem will be built here. And so the way I see it is that through our actions as faithful Christians and followers of Christ, mm -hmm. we're then building that new Jerusalem one brick at a time. Mm. Now, now, sometimes that can be painfully slow. <laughs> right? we, we, we want it to move yeah. fast. We want sometimes it to go, a hurricane go, go. comes through and knocks it down. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. But, but the call is to be faithful to that task, yeah. not to see the end result. Hmm. And so and I feel I, like in that sense, we're following the prophets, right? We're following all those people who spoke out on God's behalf and never got to see the fruit of their labor. Mm. That's so good. And I, so I, if I'm putting your, what, the answer to a previous question together with this one, the, one of the, I guess the reason I'm sort of asking this part is because, um, you know, at least in my previous life in the church of Christ and in the Baptist church, it's real cut and dry that before you're quote saved, you are, lost you're in darkness you're separated from god you're uh you know under the wrath of the whatever um but but because you know like you describe it as a slow growth because there's a mark put on you at your baptism because what we believe happens is you're you're sealed with the holy spirit which uh you know it can't be the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, cannot be taken back. Right. right? Cannot so, be taken away. Right. So is, is there really, is there even a view that like what, what state we're in quote before God um, or before Christ, before we are quote saved, because if we're made good, if we're made, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess that it, is the fall is original sin part of our story and our DNA until we're saved or how do we view that? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's until we're saved because of I as I've explained to parents who are having their babies baptized, mm -hmm. I recognize that God can be moving in them yeah. prior to anything we do to recognize that movement. Mm. Right? So so if we are all created good, if we are all created in God's image, yeah. then there is no before God and after God. Mm -hmm. There's our recognition of God's presence. Yeah. And whether or not that bears fruit, right? I mean, you know, that's what free will is about, is about leaning more fully into God's will for your life or turning away from it, which is your choice. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to state that um, uh, God can coerce love from us because that's not true love. We know that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's in our response that the fruit of what's, what God is doing within us um, mm -hmm. begins to show. You mentioned free will, and that was that was another thing. Like I, I I grew up, you know, Church of Christ, and they are oh, what is it? Opposite of Calvinist. It is uh, it's an A word, not Arianism. It's uh, shoot, I can't think of it. You know where they believe in free will? Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, uh, Armenian, Arminian. Arminianism. Thank you. Okay. Uh, they're Arminian, meaning believing fully in free will. And to the point that uh, there is no even really Holy Spirit sealing you. It's just you, you can lose your salvation and the next minute you have it and the next minute you lose it and the next minute you have it. Um, go to the Baptist church and in that environment, it was sort of that um, young, restless, reformed, and they were really big on tulip. <laughs> and really big on Calvinism and mm -hmm. really high view of the sovereignty of God uh, to the point that it created issues for me down the line when some massive justice issues were happening in the world. And I just was like, God, where are you? If you're right. in charge of this, what's going on? Uh, in fact, I think I came and sat with you uh, 
Um, it was during COVID and um, George Floyd had been killed and all these protests were going up. My justice meter was mm-hmm. off the charts. Off the charts. And people were just, I mean, the whole world was sick and dying in the millions. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, it makes, you know, brings up the Holocaust. It brings off slavery. I'm like, God, what, how do you just sit and watch it? And, and you explained to you mean to me that, you know, about free will again, because that wasn't on my radar at that point. And so right. um, just, just briefly, can you sort of explain what the implications are if, uh, if God is in charge and also we have free will? <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I find that that's one of the greatest sticking points uh, for folks who are, are questioning their faith. Um, I, I find that people really struggle with letting go of the thought that God is in complete control of every moment of our lives. Yeah. Um, because you have to understand that in order to be fully human, we have to have free will. Mm. We have to have the option to respond or not respond to the love of God. Otherwise, it's not true love. It's just coercion. Yeah. And God would never come to coerce creation into being something. Otherwise, why bother with Jesus? Right. <laughs> if, God, right. if God was in total control, the Israelites would have never had a chance to turn away. Right. But the fact of the matter is that, that God wants our authentic love, which means that we also yeah. we have the freedom to love and we also have the freedom to hate. We have the freedom to make the right decision. We have the freedom to make the wrong decision. We have the freedom to save someone's life. And we also have the freedom to destroy someone's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those things are within our hands as God's creation because we are meant to be co-creators with God. Yeah. But what we're, we have to be really attentive to what we are creating. I think that helps to put in boxes things like when you experience even just a personal injustice and where sometimes that such high view of sovereignty would have you start thinking either God's not good or what if I am I outside of God's will or God's love or you know am I in the doghouse basically um, because because we forget not only do we have the free will, but everyone around us is acting within their own free will as well. And so if you are harmed in some way, um, or if, you know, uh, or if you're blessed really big in some way, that that doesn't mean God loves you more in that moment than he did when you weren't or when, you know, whatever it's, um, man, I used to spend so much time thinking every minute of every day of my life was orchestrated by God um, and, and there were times that was really comforting, frankly. And then in those bigger moments, the dark nights of the soul, that stuff, you're like, well, wait a second, wait a minute. You can't be good if this is what you're doing. That that kind of theology will fall apart at some point. There, there will be a point in every person's life where either they choose to ignore the reality that God can't possibly be controlling every minute of our lives, Mm -hmm. or they come to that crisis of faith because they expect God to be in charge and then something goes wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, the gathering moving into that sort of topic. Um, yeah. Our spiritual traditions, uh, feast days, the sacraments, etc. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of what makes us uniquely Episcopalian in our services? Yeah, um, it's funny because I, I would say that our, our primary form of worship is certainly Holy Eucharist, which is uh, the liturgy of the word, which is reading of scripture, of which we have a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, a reflection or a homily, a sermon on that gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we have the liturgy of the table where we come together and break bread as yeah. Jesus commanded us to do. Yeah. And that's a really super rich opportunity for the community to come together and the one that we most like in terms of if you're just looking at sheer numbers of how we gather. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we don't have other forms of worship, um, which includes morning prayer or evening prayer. That's very popular in many communities, Mm -hmm. um, which can be said by yourself or with a group of people. Um, We celebrate feast days not to worship those who have gone before, which is a common misunderstanding, Mm -hmm. but to remember them as examples of the faith, like the way we share stories about our beloved family members who have gone before. Um, 
Particular a Anglican practices include uh, prayer beads or uh, walking a labyrinth, uh, mm. walking meditation, holy yoga. I mean, we're, we're really good about bringing Jesus into everyday life uh-huh. and finding ways in which that makes the most sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, for those who maybe, maybe you haven't ever spent time in a high church environment, like I had not. Thank God for sweet Deborah, who uh, I had found on my first day of visiting the Episcopal Church because she handed me the service bulletin. She handed me the, bu- the Book of Common Prayer. I mean, she was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you when we're switching right. from this, when we're going to this, and when, when you go to a hymnal. Um, because I had never even experienced liturgy before. And so for those who don't know, we have the Book of Common Prayer, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. In the Book of Common Prayer, there is there are multiple liturgies, but one that is essentially dictates our Sundays, uh, our yeah. Sunday services. It, we go through, um, there's, there's colics and prayers that are written there. Uh, we have a lectionary that's already been assigned. So if you walk into mm-hmm. any Episcopal church on a Sunday, they're all going to be reading from that same text and those same gospels. <laughs> um, yep. and then, you know, the homily, we repeat the Nicene creed together. We pass the peace mm-hmm. to one another. And then what I, uh, what I loved so much after coming from an environment that was so, um, well, celebrity pastor preaching stage performance heavy mm-hmm. was was mm-hmm. the centrality of the table in the service. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the homily, you're off to the side. You're not in, in the yep. middle. You're yep. um, the homily 15 minutes maybe. And you're sort yep. of weaving together all of the lectionary texts from the day. Um, and then... And then, I mean, the last, what would you say it is? 25 minutes of the service yep. is yep. is um, praying through. It's, it's um, communal confession. It's praying the Lord's Prayer. It's um, receiving, you know, going to the altar, receiving the bread and the wine. Um, and then, you know, a hymn and a blessing. And you're out the door in an hour by the way, for those of you who are coming from, <laughs> yeah. coming from hour and a half to two hour church services, you're out the door in an hour. Um, right, right. But I, for me, what was so meaningful was I am, I'm a very um, like tactile or a, tactile. A physical type of person. And so what was so meaningful was like, there's art on the walls. There's all these icons yeah. on the walls. There's beautiful stained glass. There's incense. If you go to that service, I get a headache from incense, mm-hmm. so I can't, but you know, you're engaging your senses in that way. You're kneeling, yes. li- physically kneeling, which is, it, it is a posture shift. Like you mm-hmm. wouldn't believe to, to see yeah. grown men, grown women, old people getting on their knees, supplicant before God. Um, we're yes. physically passing the peace. We're lighting candles. We're bread and wine. And man, but I'll tell you the thing that killed me the most was, uh, it was that first Sunday and, and the gospel, we we're about to do the gospel reading. And then you started to walk to the middle aisle. And I said, why, why are we reading it from there instead of up at the lectern where the rest of the text had been written from? Mm-hmm. And she said, because Jesus came and dwelt among us. And so the gospel readings are read from among us. Yeah. I mean, I almost took off running around the sanctuary like a charismatic. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like everything has a meaning. In my confirmation class with you, you yeah. describing that every vestment, every garment, every the bishop's hat looks like the tongue of fire from the mm-hmm. Pentecost. I mean, I guess I had never understood sacramental theology in that way. Right. And so just for everything to feel so sensory yeah Um, it felt like oh i i have a way to worship that's my whole full self your whole body right right and and let me just say that that's one thing that became abundantly clear to me as one who had probably come to take for granted the Mm. whole body experience Mm -hmm. um until we got to covid and then when we were told we couldn't touch anyone or anything, I realized just how incarnational we are. Mm -hmm. So the incarnation being the theology behind the coming of the Christ child into the world, becoming fully human, flesh and blood, just like us, uh, but without sin. And so our service is literally the incarnation of God, of of the body of Christ every single week. And to be told that you cannot 
use those forms and functions and representations of what that means to us. It was a loss. It was a tremendous yeah. loss. Whereas <clears throat> in other denominations where that's not the case, mm-hmm. you can stand before a video camera and do exactly what you did right. before COVID. Right. For us, you couldn't. And I, so, it, and so, it was so, I, I came to the church in Advent of 2019. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had mm-hmm. Advent and January and February. And then yep. the church shut down in March. And I'll tell you, kneeling doesn't feel near as normal when you're just doing it by yourself. By yourself, right. Um, the You know, there was so much about the services that was, I mean, and thank God we could even ha- have video and stream right. and stuff like that. But, but man, for the fact that, I mean, I felt like, oh, I just got this taste of something so tactile, so sensory, so incarnational <laughs> to have just ripped away for what did we come back palm sunday of 2021 palm sunday of 2021 uh-huh. so almost i mean over a year we had i think yeah a f- couple weeks there in the fall we came back and then delta came out and they were like oh just kidding <laughs> we're close yeah. again um but man you're exactly right there was man there was nothing like that i remember the bishop saying when we were so we did my confirmation during mm-hmm. like, outside yeah wait can you see it right there um we did my confirmation <laughs> in the um courtyard uh of the church and normally the whole church would be there and does the whole baptismal vows again and stuff and we couldn't do that we had like a few people we could each bring everybody's social mm-hmm. distance everybody's masked um the bishop just barely lays a hand on you walks away has to has to sanitize it was yeah it was the only one i've ever been to at that point so i didn't know how different it was <laughs> until I saw other ones afterwards. But I remember he got up at the podium or at the lectern and first, the first thing he said was seminarians are going to be studying this for years to yes. come, how we continued yes, the sacraments are. during the pandemic. Yes. And I was like, wow, where this is something powerful happening today. You know I mean? I knew it was anyway, but uh, mm-hmm. that, that we found a, <laughs> found a way to still have that incarnational experience, even if it was, uh, altered. <laughs> right. Right. And that, and that's what it was about. It, as, as we slowly unraveled our way out of COVID, it was about, okay, how quickly and how safely yeah. can we come back to those practices that mean the most to us? How, how do we yeah. incorporate those in ways that are meaningful? The cup I coming back this. last. <laughs> I will say this for COVID. It did yeah. force Episcopalians into the world, uh, into the technological age. Right. I, I will say that, <laughs> We're exceptionally slow when it comes to integrating modern technology. And so it forced us all to begin to stream our services in a variety of ways. Yeah. And so the, the gift in that, and this is what I want to make clear yes. for those who have never experienced an Episcopal church, which does have a very high threshold. That's mm-hmm. what I say. It, it takes a lot of courage to come into our church and to juggle the books and know when to kneel, sit, stand, all of that. Yeah. But the beauty is that now you can watch a service online. Mm-hmm. You can watch exactly what everyone's yes. doing. And you know exactly what to expect when you walk in that door yes. because you've seen everybody do it. And so the beauty now for people who are uh, looking for a new place to mm-hmm. worship is, and, and it's true for us, I'm sure it's still true for Annunciation, is that your f- new front door is the online service. You make such a good point. I love, there was that, there was a little thing about it during COVID. I mean, it was, it was a hellish nightmare, but I did love that I had just been, I mean, not that I was going to go to another place. I I had just decided on Annunciation, but there was always like, I'd never been to a Lutheran service. I want to see what the Lutheran Mm -hmm. church down the street is doing. And there were some things about it that were beautiful. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, what is it? What do the Methodists do? And I could, uh, or there's, you know, churches that are uh, with us being in this conservative diocese that are, there's churches like in Austin or something that I, I, uh, I know are, um, just, just painfully liberal, which is what I wanted. <laughs> and so I got to, you know, attend from afar on those services. So you're exactly right. For those who are, um, who are maybe looking for other options, other, other traditions you haven't tried yet. Um, man, that's great advice to start by, mm-hmm. start by looking at their past online services or um, yep. the one coming up, see, you know, see if you can observe that way. If you feel going to a new church is, it's a whole thing. Even if you don't it have to hard. juggle the books and all that stuff, it's intimidating. Um, it is. That's one thing I actually loved about the Episcopal Church. I'm sure there are huge ones, but ours, 
felt after coming from, you know, 1500 people and four services every weekend and never, I mean, you could be there six months and just never happened to have crossed paths with a staff member. And the first Sunday, you know, I'm there, there's like what, 120 people, Mm -hmm. everybody's spread out. And, and because of the way the Eucharist is done, you not only meet the priest, you receive a blessing, receive the communion directly in your hands or the Eucharist directly in your hands from, from the rector, from the priest that day. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You can't get by a service without it, if you, even if you wanted to. Um, that You're exactly right about clergy being accessible. And that's yeah. another way in which, you know, everybody gets a blessing here today. Everybody receives yep. the blood and the wine. and No, the bread and the wine. Um, okay, real quick, um, governance and polity. Can you just, can we talk mm-hmm. about you know, for people who'd never, uh, diocese to me was the scariest word because all I knew was from Sister Act. <laughs> I just right. thought, is this? we are Catholic, we're Catholic. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Episcopal Church uh, was set up by the same founding fathers as the United States. So the, the nitty gritty of it is that we have a bicameral institution, the House of Bishops and, and the House of Deputies, made up of both priests and laity, who mm-hmm. come together once every three years in general convention to vote on everything we do. So it's a very democratic system, which mm-hmm. means that we can move uh Culturally, we can move a little faster than systems with different polities, but it also uh, creates that very, very broad umbrella I was talking about, where people with very different opinions on an issue can exist with one another under that Mm -hmm. same umbrella. Yeah. And so for some, it might be frustrating. For some, it might be liberating. Um, But for me, uh, just knowing that uh, as as long as you are a confirmed member of the Episcopal Church, your voice matters just as much as anyone else's, mm-hmm. including somebody who's been ordained for 50 years. Um, yeah. To me, that matters. Yeah. You know, the representation matters. And so... Um, and then at the at, local level, like that was the national, so at the local level, there's yeah. regional so then and there's then a, individual. Yeah, so the church is divided into 110 dioceses that... Uh, generally follow geographical boundaries, although for a state like Texas, that's so large. Um, there are five dioceses in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. um, the largest of which being the Diocese of Texas, but that doesn't incorporate the whole state. Right. Whereas where I've moved to here, I'm in the Diocese of Maryland, which does incorporate most of the state with the exception of the suburbs of Washington, D.C. That's a different mm-hmm. diocese. But but um, anyway, so each diocese is under the leadership of a bishop, who has been duly elected from a group of folks uh, by a special electing convention. Mm-hmm. We have a fabulous new bishop about to be consecrated on uh, September 16th. Her name is in Carrie. Maryland. In Maryland. Her name mm-hmm. is uh, Carrie Schofield Broadbent. She's fantastic. Um, and so uh, that person is duly elected, but then can stay as long as they want. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. For good or for ill, it, yeah. it, it creates a, a strong um, continuum of leadership. Uh, on the flip side, if it's somebody that you don't particularly agree with, then it might be a long tenure. But the good news is that as a congregation, we are fairly independent, with the exception of the fact that we do have to abide by the rules set by our bishop. That's mm-hmm. part of our ordination vows is that we, we vow to abide by the rules of yeah. the national church and our bishop. And so... For example, me being in the Diocese of Dallas was very uncomfortable because I didn't agree with many of his positions. But mm-hmm. here, it feels like I've been liberated from those restraints yeah. and it uh, feels much more natural. Yeah. What's tough is, I didn't know that about no term limits, um, but also the fact that it is geographical in in and the, and you, there's only 110 over the whole country so these are big geographic areas in a lot of in a, a lot of cases and so it's not like if you if you're uncomfortable with the bishop leadership you can just go to the next one down the street cuz they're Correct. under the same bishop and so i would have had to um I think Fort Worth, no, 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 it would have been, I guess yeah. it became the the um, Diocese of Texas. I would have had to go to Ardmore, Oklahoma, or like Waxahachie, or even further south, really far west to find a church outside the Diocese of Dallas. Yeah. Um, and, and so then, you know, it became, uh, I have to zero in on my congregation because yeah. I, I'll just... Um, 
my spiritual, I'm going to share this actually for somebody, my spiritual director. Uh, and I talked about this recently because I was struggling with the Bishop and I loved my church, but I, uh, anyway, she said, Kelly, <laughs> am I, am I correct in guessing that none of your current elected officials you voted for? Is that right? <laughs> I said, Greg Abbott, Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, Michael Burgess. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. Um, <laughs> and, she, and she was like, and I imagine their policies are not just frustrating, but like infuriating to you in a lot of ways. Yeah. And especially yeah. lately. Yes. Um, and she said, but why do you stay in Texas? And I said, because my people are here. Yeah. And she said, exactly. Is there any way you can choose to see the diocese as this, this, this it's this governing body, but you can't, you can't control it right now. There's nothing you can do to change it right now. Um, but your people are at Annunciation. They know you. You're known there. You know that that church is more in line with your beliefs. And the leadership there is more in line with your beliefs. And um, and they, you know, have poured into you. And they were a soft place to land when you left the, um, the evangelical church. And so in the same way that, like, I still live in Texas because there's no chance I'm moving away from my niece and nephews, mm -hmm. even though the, I can think of 15 places off the top of my head. I'd rather be, um, oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm not because my people are here and, and that's a stronger anchor than anything Greg Abbott's going to do. So I just yes. want to share that if, if that is someone else's story, I know there's another, I think it's Albany. There's another really conservative diocese, uh, up in New York. Um, and, and you may find one for listeners, you may find a conservative or more moderate one, or you may be in a place that's like, man, it's off the rails. It's almost Unitarian and universalist or something. And, uh, and that's not your bag. Then right. Same thing. <laughs> same thing. Um, right. Right. And so I think that again, um, that's your connection. Your rootedness is in that local yeah. congregation yeah. And, and that's where your people are. That's where the work of the Holy spirit is going to happen. Yeah. Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about um, comparing their spiritual journey to finding the music they like best. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there are so many choices, not just in the Episcopal church, but denominational, yeah. you know, existence in the United States, you can go just about anywhere, yeah. but it has to speak to your soul. Mm -hmm. And if it does, stick with it. Yeah. Because moving is far more traumatic than just <laughs> waiting out the bishop. Right. There is a mandatory retirement age of 72, which, okay. uh, you know, oh, that, that, that is helpful. Um, and, and like you said, again, because online services are possible, if you yeah. are in an area that is more conservative, your weekly services are not the limitation and extent of what your worship can look like. Right. I do encourage you to, you know, if, if, you know, crossing the threshold of a church is something that your body, your physical body can bear to do, if your anxiety, your traumas, all of that, um, if you are still a church person, I, I still encourage you to still find community in a place. Yeah. And if you also want to supplement with, you know, doing morning prayer and evening prayer from a, a church in another diocese or um, podcast, I mean, my goodness, there's so many ways to be exposed to teachers that are not just the ones in your perish anymore yes. um so for example the the diocese of atlanta and shout out to bishop rob wright who i think is one of the greatest prophetic voices in in the episcopal church today first shout out on, on let it matter podcast first shout out yeah Go yeah on. uh i uh i do listen to his podcast i won't advertise mm -hmm. it here but i'm just saying yeah. that they have an online oh, feel service free. feel free share the resources it's called for the people yeah. um for people so it's a great podcast but mm -hmm. i just wanted to say that they have an online worship service that they mm -hmm. have tailored to form community online oh great recognizing that there are people who for whatever reason mm -hmm. do not feel comfortable or cannot show up in person and yeah. so um i imagine the music is incredible i've never attended um but Sounds from what awesome. i've heard uh the music is fabulous yeah so oh really quick i meant to ask you this earlier about the acna there uh, the ame church has the word episcopal in it are they yeah, part of the anglican yeah. communion as well the, um, they are not they okay. are the they are the church of african-americans who got tired of being second-class citizens in the episcopal church so they ah, formed their I own see. denomination 
Okay, so, so African AME, Methodist Episcopal, I think, is what that exactly, stands for. exactly. Yeah. So, so most AME churches are historically black and mm-hmm. uh, um, fantastic places to worship, but yeah. not in communion with the Anglican Communion. Got it. Okay. Um, to be clear, uh, I would say it's not the position of the Episcopal Church anymore to treat. True. Treat black members like second class citizens. I imagine Thank that's a historical that yeah. reality. Yeah. That's a that's a definitely historical reality. Uh one that we continue to grapple with in terms of reparations and mm. uh being honest about the mistakes and sins of our past as a denomination. Mm. Um and so uh no, that is definitely not our position today, but um but it is important to note sure. the reality that those brave souls faced. Um, that's good. Uh, the last one I want to ask about is scripture. Um, you know, there's all this debate infallibility versus inerrancy versus inspiration, um, authoritative, uh, you know, is it written by men and inspired by the Holy spirit? Is there, uh, are there things to consider about the human authors or is it just like God's auto pen (laughs) kind of thing? Um, how does, how does the Episcopal church typically view scripture? Um, I say that we take scripture seriously, but not literally. Um, We do not believe it is uh, God's pen uh, that literally wrote everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know enough about um, biblical context now to know Mm -hmm. that they were written by very human people Mm -hmm. who had very distinct contexts in which they were writing. Um, And so it's important for us to, to, while we do take it seriously for the life of our faith, it is part of our central core piece of our identity as Episcopalians. Mm -hmm. Um, We do know that these human beings wrote from their own perspective, which was frequently patriarchal. Yes. And so voices of women were frequently excluded. Yes. You know, shout out to, shout out to (laughs) Paul, right? Shout out to Paul. (laughs) And so we know now uh, so much more about Mm -hmm. um, the context in which they're writing, the people to whom they were writing, um, Mm -hmm. the reasons why they were writing, that it can help actually bring scripture to life in a much brighter, more beautiful way. Yes. When you consider those pieces and how they continue to speak to our hearts today. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not one to say, uh, you know, like Thomas Jefferson, cut out the parts you don't like. You know, yeah. I mean, that's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Jefferson Bible had all kinds of problems. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Ooh. But so I do say, you know, take it seriously enough mm-hmm. to honor each passage for what it has to offer to us today, yes. knowing full well that there are passages that are no longer applicable, mm. nor should they be, because right. they are not in line with God's will for humanity. Oof, that's good. Okay. Um, the last uh, Episcopal related question I have is so essentially, if you could just take a pastoral moment, um, yeah. thinking about somebody who's listening to this, having deconstructed, um, and maybe they think they've tried them all and they're, mm-hmm. um, you know, could you maybe just take a moment to sort of make a case for, or share something particularly winsome that you love or comforting to you about our tradition that, um, that might make someone say, okay, you know, that's worth trying. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to I'm going to harken back to a little bit before your time. Harken away. Harken back. Um, In November of 2018, the leadership of Annunciation Mm -hmm. decided to offer a listening session for all those to come forward and speak of their feelings regarding the blessings of same sex unions. Mm. So the Episcopal Church had just authorized the blessings of same-sex human unions, mm-hmm. and our diocese was grappling, let's say, <laughs> with the best way to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so each church was invited to to consider thoughtfully mm-hmm. um, all all aspects of doing so. Um, for me, that particular day was a great day because it was so respectful mm. on both sides. And we did have people all over the issue uh, mm-hmm. get up to speak their hearts. It did mean that we lost some members on both sides of the argument, either for moving too fast or for moving too slow, depending mm-hmm. on how they felt, frankly. Yeah. But one of the people who stood up to speak was my daughter, Zoe, mm-hmm. who was barely 15 years old at the time literally had just been 15 for a month. And she asked me if it would be okay, given the fact that she was the priest's daughter, (laughs) you know, she didn't want to, didn't want to take any, uh, 
chances uh, mm-hmm. without me knowing. And so she stood up and bravely spoke of her reflections on what it means to say that all are welcome. And she said, it even says it on our signs, the Episcopal Church welcomes you. Mm. And one of her friends had shared her experience of trying out different churches, but realizing that she didn't want to do so anymore because she was scared, Mm. noting that they were full of prejudice and shame and judgment. And so here, I just want to quote Zoe, because I was so impressed by what she said, I saved it. Yeah. (laughs) So I could go back and read it when I needed to hear it for myself. But Mm. uh, she said, so this is Zoe, hearing that made me sad, but at the same time, my chest would once more fill with pride. I would proudly tell her how our church was accepting of anyone and everyone, how she could look around and find a dozen other people like her. I would tell her how how we love everyone. The thing is, even with this discussion that has people disagreeing, I still know that each and every one of you here has displayed that welcoming attitude. We are still loving people that never changed. What changed is that now there are even more people to love, people with all sorts of differences, people with all sorts of stories, people you've already managed to love and treat as equals. Let's all band together to take the next step in loving and accepting each other. Let's not be the church that has prejudices. Instead, let's be the Episcopal Church. Let's do what the Episcopal Church does best and welcome everyone because all are welcome here. Oh, (laughs) a queen. I know, I know. Wow, that's so, for 15 yeah, and, and and to this day, just really sees the Episcopal Church as that place yes. that people who have been wounded by yes. different um, churches in the past mm-hmm. can come and find a sacred home. Yeah, And to me, that's the message that I want people to hear, that I get it. Like, mm-hmm. churches can cause a lot of pain and suffering. Um, They are made up of human beings and human beings are flawed and always will be. But for all our faults, the Episcopal Church is the one place that accepts you just as you are, where you are, um, and tries to do so with integrity. And so, I don't know. I just, I I still have a fondness for it in my heart and I'm proud of Zoe for standing up and saying that. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the last question is something I ask all my guests and uh, sure. you can answer it silly or serious or short or long, however you want to answer it. What is mattering most to you right now? Being present to God's people. Mm. That's good. Uh, it just so happens that this past weekend I celebrated a wedding and I celebrated a funeral. And the life of a priest. <laughs> And being <coughs> present, excuse me, being present in those moments mm. where people are in their life's journey is such an honor and a blessing. Yeah. And I can't help but think of um, what a gift it is to be able to do that with people. I want you are um, one of the the best to ever do it. I um, in my in my short time under your leadership at, at Annunciation, there were. I had um, some personal trauma. I had some personal conflict. I had a relationship that was a nightmare. Um, I also, you raised me up and uh, and put me in a place of teaching and uh, teaching a spiritual formation and um, digital director of digital ministry and all these things and just spoke so much life into um a ministry and and my gifts at the same time the number of times sitting on your couch crying being like I don't know man I don't know if I got it left in me I I gotta you know just for whatever reason and then pastoring us well through COVID and then you know um the 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 justice issues that we faced and being there at my confirmation that picture had it's the the bishop's hand on me which was just for a second but when he prayed you put your hand on me and left it there even in the pandemic and um and so just taking this this second to say um how oh no (laughs) i'm gonna cry how (laughs) thankful i am for your ministry and your presence in uh, in my own life because of how uh, I didn't know how much I needed a um, mother figure. 
a mother Catherine mm-hmm. and not coming to another place with a pastor who's shouting during his sermons and being triggered and you know all these things I mm-hmm. I came and you 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 didn't need to raise your voice. You didn't, you spoke calmly. You just unpacked the scriptures. You led us with kindness and warmth and faithfulness. You, I, when I was brand new, you followed up with me. I mean, there was just so many, so many ways that you made Annunciation a really safe, safe place and a place of so much healing from things I never thought I, I would appreciate about the church again. And so I thank you so much for that and just wanted to honor you in, in that. Thank you, Kelly. And I have to say that uh, I truly miss you in so many ways um, and am grateful for this podcast and this opportunity to continue our conversation, because as I shared with you, uh, God's not finished with you yet. And I really believe uh, great things are in store for you and for the people who are blessed to hear your voice. Truly. Thank you. Okay. Well, I hope that episode was helpful and informative. I hope that that bit there at the end um, was just encouraging to you if you're listening to this, even if you never um, step foot inside an Episcopal church. Um, I hope you know that there are places um, within the, the spectrum of Christianity that are safe and welcoming, that um, really are just warm and lovely places to be. Um, My thanks again to Mother Catherine for joining me today. I want to take just a quick second to remind you guys that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community, and we would love to have you there for as little as $4 a month. You get exclusive content, um, Bible study and spiritual formation teachings, and access to monthly matterings, which is our uh, partners-only Zoom call that happens monthly um, with me, where we sort of build community and dive deeper into recent episode topics. Um, Those conversations are always so lovely, and we have um, a sort of... um, just sort of prayer and belovedness practice at the end. And it's it's just lovely. So we'd love to have you to get instant access to all of those partner perks, head over to patreon.com forward slash let it matter pod or let it matter.com forward slash podcast. Join me next week as we continue to make space for honor and name what matters. And now according to our tradition, as we close out, I offer you this benediction comes from the Book of Common Prayer. It is called A Collect for Guidance. It actually comes from the, uh, the, morning prayer, the morning prayer daily office. Let's pray. Oh God, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.